Hey, welcome to the cast. My name is Sam and I host this program with Pastor Mike. We are having conversations about things that are meaningful, thought-provoking, and maybe a little bit controversial, like this week's episode. And we are really happy that you're listening and taking part. And we encourage you to get in touch with us with any questions, thoughts, or feedback by either sending us an email or filling out the form on our website. We would love to have you be part of this conversation. Just want to remind everyone that the views expressed on the cast are those of the people expressing them and may not necessarily represent the views of our church. Our church, of course, being C3KW. All right, back on the cast. Hey, what a cool Sunday. This was the first Sunday that we were officially C3KW. Yes, it was. Good day. In faith. Yep. And I mean, we actually, it sort of felt like last Sunday was really the start of it when when Sam from C3 Toronto came and preached. And I mean, that was such a cool word. Mm-hmm, it was nice to, mm-hmm. it was nice to finally have him in our in our church service i mean I, i'd met him so many months ago and obviously our team has been um talking to the c3 people from toronto for quite some time um so yeah just having them in our building to really just sort of vision cast for our church that was that was cool and if um, you missed it um june 13th at heart and soul soon to be all in i don't know if we announced that yet on sunday yeah i, I think we will have yeah um Sam and Jess are going to be back. So June 13th. Yeah. If you didn't get the chance to chat with them, they'll be there. That was a, that was a really cool message, though, for our church. I mean, just even seeing where C3 Toronto has mm. been, kind of how they started and just how far they've come and really just the way that they've um, just been so faithful and, and really just, you know, said yes to God mm-hmm. and yeah. just let God impact their city in that way. Definitely. So I really hope that same thing can happen here in KW. Amen. Can't add to that. That's good job, Sam. Well, it's also funny that uh, our 20th episode comes out the day that we are transitioning officially mm-hmm. to C3. 20 KW. episodes. Yeah, 20 episodes. That's another milestone. It is. It is. It's um, a big one. We're not celebrating with orange juice tonight. Right now, we're celebrating with bananas. <laughs> we're just... <laughs> We're just eating some bananas tonight. Mike finished his already. Man, you mowed that thing down. It was just pregame snack, man. Yeah. I'm still... I'm going to have to find like a, a time where Mike spends about like five minutes on, a, on some sort of tirade to finish mine. Or else you're going to hear banana in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, any In any case, I kind of wanted to reflect on just the first 20 episodes, the first 20 hours mm. of the cast yeah. a little bit. Um, was there a personal highlight, personal favorite episode for you, Mike? It's a great question. Now he's going to have to go back and, and look at right the list of all the episodes. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, if you don't have one off the top, I can, I can yeah, go ahead. shoot off of mine. I think my favorite one, I think... Yeah, the one that stands out for me the most was episode four, Prosperity Gospel Power Hour, 
that was the one where I feel like we really just kind of hit our stride and found our voice. I, I'm sure we've like topped it since. I'm sure we've put out a more um, thought provoking or entertaining one since. But that was the one where we dived into kind of a controversial subject a little bit. Um, we had a guest on. I think we stepped up our audio quality a bit. I love the intro with Robert Tilton on that one. Haven't done that since. But um, yeah, I, I, that was the, my favorite one, I think. Yeah, actually, I would say that I don't actually know. I like, I know it's bad, but I feel like most of these I've been loving. I think probably a fun one to just talk about was Heaven and Hell. Yeah, that, that was, was a bit fun. of a different one, wasn't it? Uh, the sex talk one, that was interesting always. Yep. Got into some different things. Um, well, we've talked about sex a few times now, but that, that <laughs> specific one, yeah. That specific one, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think that one was pretty good. Um, weed was always fun to talk about. Yeah, that <laughs> one was fun. There some things we'd edit out of that one, actually. In the... There was a few things, <laughs> yeah. It'd be funny. I, I don't keep the files that we, we do edit out just for, you know, I don't want there to be a scandal later on. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I think I've, I've enjoyed just doing, I think, all of them. Um, I think you're right. We have developed a little bit um since the first one yeah i I think like if i were to go back to like you know i think the first one is probably the weakest to be honest and i thought you know people liked that one but i I just i've gone back and listened to it and i've been like wow i think we've just gotten a lot better at you know really diving in and not being afraid to face subjects in really explicit terms maybe like Mm -hmm. um thought that was maybe a little bit i feel like i was a bit vague in the way i talked back then and i mean that was just a few months ago but i don't know you do get better as time goes on. I feel like I've personally just gotten more comfortable talking at length for a longer period of time. So it's been mm-hmm. a fun mm-hmm. personal growth project for me in that way. That's cool. I yeah. like that. I like that. I Do you like feel that way about your sermons, Mike? Do you ever go back and listen to like a really old sermon? Um, well, the ones that I can find... Yeah. So, because right now, I, all I really have access to is like the writing, right, on my notes, and um, I think when I go back, I'm like, I can I can see how I've changed and how I've you know even adapted a different style of preaching, mm-hmm. um, and I think with me, it's more, mine's really more on the delivery side of it, my development, because I think the original like ideas and concepts have been pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. I just, I've gotten way better at actually speaking them and stylistically gotten way better, I think. So, um, like, I, I actually did a sermon, like, which one was it? Um, that I went back to an old sermon that, that I'd done because it applied directly to it and right. kind of just re, re- reworked it a little bit. I told Emily, I was like, well, like, I was, you know, some solid points in here. It's pretty yeah. good. But then I was like, I definitely... uh needed to work on my jokes right right <laughs> there's a couple of things in there i'm like i actually said that like <laughs> like i i said that so can i give you some like honest feedback just about your preaching it's, sure. it's good it, i promise live it's good. live yeah, yeah. i like this no it's good um, i know sam i'm basically as funny as jim gaffigan i get it i get that all the time that's um that's not I, what i was gonna I, say i don't get that to all be honest time. i don't 
I haven't really listened to Jim Gaffigan. I'll Man, be, you're be missing totally out. honest with food, you. Food, food, humor. It's good stuff. Okay. Okay. I get it. Yep. Um, no, what I was going to say is because I've heard you preach back in like 2015. Mm-hmm. So one thing I'll say is I think you are much better at finishing your sermons now than you used to be. Now. Cause I think I remember back in 2015, it kind of felt like you would, you would talk in circles. Once you got to your last point, you just kind of have to repeat it a bit. And now you're like, so good. Like, I think it's one, you, your sermons just have so much more content in them. They that do, it's like, yeah. you actually have to be really efficient with your time nowadays. Well, and now like I don't take notes anymore. Right. So yeah, basically if I forget a point, it's gone. Like it's just, it's not yeah. going to make it. So it's just been, it's been good. Cause I think I've had to, Yeah tighten up a little bit and mm-hmm. i think what what helps is if it's not memorable to me and i'm the one who made it made the content yeah it's definitely not gonna be memorable to you and so i think it just sort of does a self-filter that obviously has to make sense and that's how i tend to remember things but yeah so i think it's fun it's been good i appreciate that yeah i appreciate that do you ever just like are you ever in the middle of writing a sermon and you're just like <laughs> you're just convicted by your own sermon uh yeah sometimes like i i find it more when i'm actually like practicing out loud yeah all of a sudden i'll sort of feel the weight of what i just said i'm like i need to go pray about that mm-hmm. um other times i feel like this sermon's crap why did i write it to <laughs> get rid of it um so i've had a wild mix of emotions when i'm doing that yeah are you ever so like on a sunday morning is there ever sundays where you just know you're about to drop like a masterpiece on everybody like no <laughs> no because like you think that and then like nobody responds no like, okay yeah actually you've said that before and then like, like i was really excited to deliver yeah. the sermon and nobody responded no one, didn't. No one said anything the other one that was just like ah whatever like it's <laughs> true and what i'll do my best yeah. it's like pastor i needed that so i'm like seriously like that's how the holy spirit works it's how man. he works like one like one time legitimately um at, at an older church um I like felt like on Friday I had to like switch the sermon up. I was like, I just was not hitting it. I was like, you know what, whatever. I'm just going to do this quick thing. I felt so unprepared. Just went up there and preached about like following Jesus, like with the disciples. And that's the day that someone like finally gets saved at the church. It's wow. just like, I was like, Jesus, like, what is this? I just, like, why do I even bother if, you, if you're just going <laughs> to do that? Right. That's why I feel that way more. There, there are some times where I know that what I'm going to talk about is going to be, maybe more pointed than other times. Mm-hmm. And I find that, you know, I'll get maybe less of a response, but more of a reaction. And if I was going for that, then that's good. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, you know, like, and, and I'm pretty sensitive now to what topics that is. Mm-hmm. Right. So I know like yeah. this coming week, if you were at our launch for C3KW, um, I brought up politics and how we, um, engage with it in love and I know that that's going to be one that is going to make people at least listen they'll probably want me some will want me to say less some will want me to say more and I'm kind of choosing to keep it high level yeah right and and I know that that will be one where typically because it's a little more of a hot topic mm-hmm. um, I'll get a little more response like last week yeah. last time I preached I did money I hit money mm-hmm. And I had a lot more response on that one because whenever churches talk about money, right, it brings out the good and bad. It strikes some kind of nerve. It strikes, right? right? Yeah. The interesting thing, I had a lot of people say, like, you should preach about money more, um, which I did not expect to hear. So wow. maybe I will. But hmm. um, yeah, I think I think it's the way Jesus works to humble us. Like when you're coming in thinking this is going to be, this can be fire. And mm. then it's not. I've gotten better at crafting like one-liners, yeah. I think, over time. 
Um, I never really wanted to do that. You didn't want to be a one-liner kind of I didn't creature. want to be like an Andy Stanley kind of guy. Yeah. But I've realized the power of them, right? Yeah. And so I don't have it every week. But if I can get to some kind of like takeaway, because now also we're doing graphics on Instagram and things that I'm kind of more cognizant of that yeah. I want to give our team some content to work with. So I think that's probably something. Give people a good quote. The issue is when I think I've made such a beautiful one. Mm. And like to me, it just it hits me. But then like in the sermon, no one says anything. Mm-hmm. Like even like a direct response, like that's good or something, like just something. And I'm just, and I've gotten back. I used to, this would be so bad. I used to like sit and wait for it. And be like, come on, guys, that was awesome. Like, what happened here? Now I know how to just to move on and get over it. It's a little bit of maturity and communicating. But um, that's what hurts a little bit because I'm like, man, I like, this was a good point. You should be getting this. And then, you know, I know that with the Holy Spirit, he'll work in on like Thursday night. They'll be like, oh, man, that changed my life. But they never tell me that. So yeah. I'm just going to trust the hits. Well, yeah, you just got to be patient. Trust the process. Trust the process. We're about that here. Yeah. I got to say, like, I, I think... Um, when you decide to sit down and preach from the stool, that's when I just know, oh, this is this is going to be a transcendent sermon today. <laughs> <laughs> Those two times? Yeah. I mean, well, they were both. I don't know. I remember just leaving both of those being like feeling very impacted and um, just being very impressed with your speaking, I think. I don't know. Like uh, a couple levels. The theatrics is gone. I tend to walk around a lot. I don't know. I've, I've actually been thinking about that. Not that this matters for some of our listeners, but if you're going to come see us live one time at C3, um, I kind of like sitting down, but and I always intend to get up while I'm sitting down, but I never end up getting up. And it always adds a different dynamic, and I don't know why. I haven't been able to pinpoint why. I think they feel more intimate. It could be. I feel like, well, I mean, if you're in a living room and everyone's sitting down and around a circle and talking... And like, you're not just going to be like the one guy getting up. Like I, there's probably some of that. I'm sure there's one guy who would get up. Well, <laughs> yeah, but, but then they'd sit back down. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, true. They wouldn't stay up for long. It's true. I think, yeah. And I think because of those two, the content as well, I, that's when I usually do it. If I feel like the content demands it. Mm-hmm. Right. So the last time it was all about apologetics and I knew it'd be a little more cerebral. And for some people, like not academic enough and for others way too academic. Mm-hmm. And so I figured if I could concentrate my energy on talking versus moving um, and expend all of my you know thinking time not considering am i going to fall off the stage or how far am i moving you know you got it's a weird process when you're preaching you can you're having all these different conversations at the same time yeah um then i could probably be a little more articulate and i knew with that one too i had like i knew i was going to be overtime so yeah instead of having the possibility of just like like expelling all this extra energy to keep it focused so that's one typically i do is i would choose if it's a like a content that i feel demands maybe a little bit more of attentiveness um Mm -hmm. not that everything doesn't demand that but i think there's some that just fit that right it is a real skill like i i mean i've gotten to say announcements before on stage um and i just like i do have to really think about making eye contact with the audience and you know not being too fidgety because and like letting my nerves show i guess Mm -hmm. um which i mean i think the more i do it the more comfortable i be but i think i do it's in those moments where i do really understand like how impressive a thing it is that preachers can do i mean some of them like there are preachers that will use the podium and kind of stand still and and you know some i've seen preachers like read directly off their notes which is cool like as long as i can follow it 
I'm right there with you. But I mean, the the more animated style when you've got like a 30 minute sermon to remember or 40 minutes in your case, sometimes 45, 50. <laughs> Last week was 50. <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I had slides, so it made it a little easier. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I think like you're right. Like a guy like John Thompson from C4. Yeah. Um, when we were at the conference last year, yeah. he, he was kind of just reading. I don't know if that's his normal style of preaching. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was like he was giving a, like an academic paper. Yeah, kind but, of. It, but it was so I was really, engaging. Yeah, I was yeah, really, I was and right so there with him. It's, just, it's a different kind of style. And I think it worked. Um, but, and that's where I think for me, it's, this is just kind of the style I've developed. And because I tend to be a little more abrasive. Were you always that way though? Uh, yeah. Like overall, like that's been the general. I, well, I've always been intense. That's the okay. thing, right? Like, but when I was a younger communicator, because um, I won't say preacher, because I've seen this in a lot of younger just communicators, um, we tend to play to two kinds of emotions, either like intensity and passion or almost like nonchalant. Oh, it's, I'm just a funny, cool guy up on the stage. And you know, you need both. You need passionate, you need cool moments, not cool as in cool, but chill and funny and lighthearted and taking things not too seriously. And, and I remember for me, passion was always an easier emotion to dig into versus just sort of the nonchalant. Cause I, w- I didn't feel like that as a, like my personality isn't all that. Um, and so I would just be intense the whole time where now right. I've learned how to kind of arc that a little bit and know it more. Um, but the abrasiveness, I've always been on kind of that edge a little bit. I think now that I'm getting older, I don't care as much in the sense of like, um, I want to speak what is true in a way that's gracious, but, you know, it's going to hopefully make you think mm-hmm. where in the older I've gotten, the less I care if people like me. <laughs> so, yeah. um, like, and, and I think a positive way, I'm still hyper aware of that. I think yeah. I'm always going to be less of like a people. I'm less. Or... Yeah. And a little more secure. Yeah. And, and it's, and you find that with like the eye contact thing, like, right? mm-hmm. like I find that there is this people assume or associate kind of a lack of confidence with a lack of eye contact. And like, you're saying things, but like, you don't want to look me in the eye and say it. We assume that's like either you don't believe it, or maybe you're not confident in this. So I'm trying to work on that a lot where it's like, we just like just own what I'm saying. Like, don't say it if you don't believe it. Yeah. Right. And I think as the older I get, the easier that that is in the sense of the presentation. Obviously, I'm having to make sure still that I'm saying things I actually believe, taking the time to write sermons and content that's valuable and not just like, you know, next week I'll get better. Like, now I want I want every single week to be the best sermon I can put out there. And I know it's not going to happen, but I want to aim for that. Um, cause it's my primary job, right? Like the skill that I bring most is going to be this. And so I'd want anyone who has a skill to do that, mm-hmm. I think. Right. So, um, but I still like, I still struggle with eye contact. Sometimes I still struggle with stuttering. You got, you know that I still struggle with, yeah, I get ahead of myself, of right. Pacing. And so all those things, like they're not, I don't think they're ever going to go away. I'm just going to have to get better and better and better at them. Final, um, <laughs> question on this. Do you think your accent's gotten stronger over the years? <laughs> I don't know, man. I I don't know. I think it's I think it's sort of come into more of my normal life. That's the crazy part. I think so too, actually, because I remember going out for coffee with you like four years ago, and it was like really not part of your like lower your quiet voice yeah i think back then and now when i talk to you it's like oh yeah that's how mike talks all the time <laughs> and, uh, and i don't want like not that i don't want to but 
It's like there's not even trying to. So I don't, I can't even answer that question. I definitely have, um, I still get just as much, hey, where are you from? Mm-hmm. Conversations just had one the other week. Um, so that hasn't changed, but I don't know. Maybe it's, it's getting thicker. Yeah. Or some, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I, don't know why I, I think it. you just got to look at it as a gift from God. It's just a gift. I'm just a Southern guy. That's what I am. One of the questions that we got in was to talk about capital punishment. How do we feel about capital punishment? Um, or rather, what do we think about capital punishment? I think we say feel too much when this is a thinking thing. Although, you know what? Emotion does play a role in it for a lot of people, I will say. So maybe both are accurate. But the death penalty, um, what is the Christian view on the death penalty? Is it settled? Well, it's wrong. So there you go. That's that's the end of it. No, I'm kidding. Um, well, I, so that is actually what I think, but I'm sure it's a lot more complex than that. So one uh, argument in favor of it, Genesis 9, 6 says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God has God made man. So that is maybe a text that people would cite in favor of it being all right, that um, if you shed the blood of man, if you shed the blood of, you know, God's image bearer, then Mm -hmm. it follows that the penalty for that should be death. Now, where I'm not comfortable is that, you know, we get to decide whose life is no longer worth living, who, you know, who we get to take life from. Um, you know, to me, that seems like something Jesus kind of would have come to abolish. Um, and I mean, so, so that Genesis law, the funny thing about that is it's actually not mosaic law. So a few weeks ago, we talked about like Leviticus Mm -hmm. and, you know, that set of laws and how the new covenant kind of changed how we see those laws. Mm -hmm. But this is from Genesis. So does that like change the light that we see it in? That's the argument. Definitely. Yeah. Right. That this was a, you know, pre-Abrahamic thing. Um, It was in the way it covenant. And it harkens back to, you know, Genesis 1 with the sanctity of life. Mm -hmm. And that life is a sacred thing. And so that's kind of like the positive principle, right? That life is sacred and we must protect it. Mm -hmm. And so to come against that, um, especially in the, like, do not murder... um, Ten Commandment, right? It's kind of this idea of to murder or to strike against the image is to strike against the one whose image they bear. And so what is the penalty for that kind of a question? And then in the Old Testament, you know, there is a lot of in the, you know, in the Levitical law and all that stuff about different things that constitute capital punishment that we probably wouldn't. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there like that is surprising, like dishonoring your parents. That is when that often one often gets brought up, yeah. right? And I'm just saying, I'd be dead. Um, but yeah. there, there is, there's complexity there, and there, it's not just like, like there, there's a greater narrative and story than just picking out a verse that we don't understand, right? Because there yeah. is the idea of forming a nation, forming a theo- like a theocracy where God is the king and leader of this nation. He's trained them up in certain ways to be different than different theologically and spiritually and um, civilly from different uh, nations around them. So there, there is different reasons for it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and most often people would argue like, at least the ones that I have read don't argue very strongly from, from Leviticus. Yeah. Um, because they recognize the, the way in which, as you said in a, in a couple podcasts that, you know, Jesus reforms our relationship to that law. Yeah. And the strongest argument does go back to Genesis nine, uh, with, with Noah and God sort of statute against a murder there and then connected that to Romans um, where Paul says that that government essentially bears the sword um, mm-hmm. with the authority of God and how you how you define what that means um, because there's some who yeah. believe that means uh, that entails mm-hmm. um, capital punishment as a right of the state to you know hopefully you know hold back evil which we believe part of the job of the state is to do that, to restrain evil in some sense through law and justice. Others would read that and believe it. it was it's not a sword in the military sense or the capital sense, but more of a deterrent or defense, things like that. So there's different ways of interpreting that passage, but that really those are the two passages I find most often get quoted. You know, Genesis 9 and Romans, I think it's 13. Yeah, the, the ones like with, you know, in the New Testament mm-hmm. where... It seems like a lot of those passages are more just about submission to state laws. Like Christians ought to submit to their authorities. Yeah, we are. Yeah, and it is about that. But he, but Paul does make a statement that the authority that's been given is granted by God, and that what that authority, then what 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 entail what is entailed in that authority becomes the question. Yeah. Right. Like. It, yeah. It, I it, just like I feel like it's hard. So because the reality is back then there weren't Christians in the government. Now we have, like, I think, how does the Christian politician deal with some of these things? I, like, to me, I think that is where most of my political views kind of take me or my more, more political questions take me. And, and that kind of shapes my political views a lot of the time is if I was a Christian politician with the ability to make laws to shape government, how would I do that in a way that is most honoring to Jesus? Because I think that is where some of these passages i don't feel like they really speak to that so much as as like a citizen of that land sure yeah and and i think like the early church um this is one of the questions that kind of wrestled with not necessarily capital punishment because they're the ones being capitally punished persecuted and all that stuff um but was with their role in the military their role in in in, in you know Mm-hmm. Uh, office and anything that would have them harm an image bearer. It was a, it was a divide. Generally speaking, for, from the reading that I've been doing, um, I've been doing a little bit of church history right right now. Um, I would say I would say the majority of the church I think would have been more along the lines of that pacifist take that. But there was a debate about it, right? That can Christians continue being the military if you get saved and you mm-hmm. were a soldier? Like, what does that mean for you? Yeah. And so there were people who were perfectly fine with it and think that there's a different realm kind of and um so you'd probably fit well within the pacifist movement of the early church right <laughs> yeah. um and and so that's that's fine i think i agree with the idea of like how does a christian today deal with it because we do not believe typically right that the church and state overlap mm-hmm. in a pluralistic society democratic mm-hmm. society that we live in yeah um i think religion and the state always overlap that's a whole other question we can get into later on um, because even a secular state, by the way, is a religious state. But 
whatever. Mm. Um, anyways, um, so if as a Christian, we would have to hold those intention. Like, what is our Christian duty? What is our civil duty? And how does our Christian duty ultimately affect that? civil duty because i don't think you can you can't be a christian and not let that impact the decision that you make yeah, obviously totally right and so this is where then becomes the question can a christian right within this whole whole narrative of the scripture justify death as a penalty for um wrongdoing mm-hmm. justify death in in the civil sense for as a penalty for evil even yeah right and I am someone who would say that I cannot outright abolish it in the current state of the world. I don't think that I don't think that we do it right. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like we, I think you can get into some statistics and facts on the nature of how capital punishment has been brought out. Yeah. Um, and then really, like I'm pretty sure it's much more of a pressing thing in the states that Canada. I don't think this issue has even really been... No, no, it right. hasn't been. Like, brought up in any way. I, I, you always hear people... <laughs> this is a common refrain I've heard. It's like, I don't agree with the death penalty, but for that guy who did that thing, yeah, string him up. Like, well, and that's the thing. And, and that's, I would say, a good caricature of a of a third position, right? Because typically there's the abolitionist, there's the, yes, we need it, yeah. and there's this middle position, which I would find myself in, that says... There are certain things which I would understand death being a a a just punishment. I was gonna say just dessert, but the way we say that doesn't mean <laughs> what I was meaning. Because I I was reading a C.S. Lewis article where he talks about the desserts of someone, and he means like what they deserve. Mm. And but to say that would have been weird. Anyways, now I said it, so here it is. But and how the idea of punishment, right? is meant to be a conversation around justice in that what is deserving of this crime. That's where like the idea of the eye for an eye comes in, right? Yeah. That we don't over punish or under punish. Now, um, Jesus obviously heightens the idea of forgiveness and grace. Mm-hmm. Um, you live by the sword, you die by the sword, tell, talking to Peter. And, and I understand that and, and think that that's where I'm, I'm not, I don't think I can be a full on, let's just, you know, have it completely open and completely in in every kind of case you know where we would somehow see it justifiable that be done i think that there is certain instances that i would want to draw lines around right Um, like you know would, would i think that a just punishment for hitler would have been the death penalty yes mm. i'll say that mm. right um and and I, don't, and I don't actually like if people often come back and say, well, what about redemption, you know, and, and what about forgiveness, and what about all these things? And here's the thing, I hope that anybody finds that um, I do, um, and the redemption of of our soul and you know temporal consequence might be different. Yeah. Right. And people have made an argument. I was listening, I was reading this one thing about people making an argument that if that you know if God you know, kind of in a Calvinist sense, knew who was going to accept him anyway, then like the death penalty, if they don't repent for the death penalty, that was just ultimately. And so I, I reject that idea. Like, I'm not going to say that somehow, you know, you're just like, if, you, if you're convicted for the death penalty, it kind of means that your life is done um, in the sense of like the soul. 
because obviously yeah. your life would be done, but not in that way. Um, and so I, 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 there is, there is, there is a hesitation in me to just be like, yeah, I'm cool, totally cool with it. I don't mm-hmm. think we should ever be totally cool with just killing someone. No. Obviously, yeah. No, um, I don't. And here's the thing: I don't use the word murder on purpose because to murder and to kill, I think, is different. Yeah, that's um, true. And and to murder is to unjustly take the life of another human being to kill you could argue is to justly take a life right um and and then that becomes the question of what does just killing mean and we talked about a little little bit of that in the 10 commandment series we sort of got into that and and for us the 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 point ultimately of do not murder do not unjustly take life is to protect the sacredness of it. Mm-hmm. So the question becomes, does someone say who is a mass murderer lose their sanctity of life? I would say no, of course mm-hmm. not. They're still an image bearer of God. Yeah. But are there, are there things that human beings can do, specifically in this case against the sanctity of life, that elicits a just response that would match that? And I would say they're not, I would say that in the modern world, you know, one for one, not one for one. I would not say every murder equals a death penalty. Yeah. Right. Um, mainly because I do think that there is other ways of justice that can be meted out. Um, but again, I'm not. I'm not opposed to it in the in the abolitionist sense because I recognize that God did institute, as crazy as we might think it is, this pattern of sacredness of life in pre-Levitical law. And so like, that's where I kind of get stuck on. Like, I, I can't say, yeah, I'm not going to say that it's, it's, it's out of the question ever. Um, because I think there is a, a kind of taking of life that is just, but I'm not going to say that, yeah, I'm cool with the current model and system that we see in America, for example. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm just like never comfortable with humans being like, cause at the end of the day, humans are deciding whether some, like whether it's justice or not. So like the way, the way I'd rationalize, I guess my position to myself, be like, to be honest, it probably starts at an emotional level for me. That's, that's probably where the position started. I don't know. I don't well, know what it, came Hopefully first. it does. Yeah. It did, yeah. Right. Like, cause here's the thing. Like we shouldn't like, we yeah. should not enjoy it. No. If we ever get that, then that's a whole other conversation. Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but I think like if I had to like back it up with logic and reason, so an argument that's put forth is that Christ's death on the cross ended the requirement for blood recompense and blood sacrifice. Um, so that the sacrifice of Jesus, like, well, so it replaced the sacrifice of animals, but also would make it unnecessarily to execute murders to maintain human dignity and value. Um, do you, do you see merit in that? Like, you 100%. Think that's, a, that's a fair equivalence. I, I like, I think that we'd have to be careful with the idea of one, like again, one for one, equi- you know, making equivalent the sacrifice, the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus for sin, right, and a capital punishment in in response to human death, because like there was the idea of, the, of Jesus on the cross being the Levitical picture of the scapegoat, right, mm-hmm. of of the sacrifice lamb, of, of the of the sacrifice for sin, mm-hmm. um, and yes, God does say right in that same place in Genesis nine. Uh, that it's life. Yeah. It's it's life in the blood. And I believe in Genesis 9, it also talks about how you're not supposed to eat blood. 
like the life the <laughs> yeah. lifeblood of, of an animal right yeah. so that's kind of where the kosher begins um and so most christians don't follow that one no right um and again because they would tie that to you know the mm-hmm. Levitical system but then you also could tie the death penalty there too so i like i do think like this is the thing is this is why i'm i'm com- i'm compelled towards that in the yeah. sense of like like yeah the immensity of what jesus did changed everything it did i have to believe that the kingdom in the kingdom of god do i believe there's a death penalty well no no more it's been done but i also don't believe there's murder (laughs) so right like um and there's mass murder and and heinous evil because this is the thing that this is this may be where the conversation is going and it might be too deep but like it really gets down the idea of what does evil mean for us and how do we deal with that in a just way? What's the point of punishment? What's the point of a justice system? You know, and and I'm compelled to believe that that that, that justice in our in in the, in the civil sort of systems that we put out are not simply to reform the sins of people and no. rehabilitate them. Right? It's not simply to. It's right. also to like protect others. It it is to protect them, and it, and it's to properly allow justice to come to those who are wrong. Right, and this is where I think this conversation does not have a lot of, you know, conversation time in the modern world because we don't really like saying things are wrong. Right, no. yeah. things are either simply a sickness, simply a brokenness, simply an excuse that we just need to rehabilitate this person. When the Christian worldview does have a very explicit point to say. There is brokenness, there is environment, but there is evil. And, yeah. And humans by nature are not good, right? Which runs up against kind of the nature of the modern story. I just always have like a strong, you know, hope in redeeming that though. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, I agree there is definitely evil, but if someone is doing evil, are they condemned to always do evil? Like I just don't believe they are i think some people are maybe you know that far gone yeah but but the question becomes is the justice system the avenue for that well i because what what is a worse punishment okay um somebody saying you know here is this like and i'm not necessarily the death penalty but just here's this one time you know lex talionis Right, eye for an eye kind of punishment that, that you get for this thing, or um, some random person, some expert of the government who's going to determine whether you are still broken or not based on some therapy that you go through, who wholly controls the definition of your freedom, right? Yeah, I so I think there's a point, yeah, because there's almost like a few, we talked about two things there, like, you know, giving evil what it deserves and then also keeping others safe so i would say that like you know if you are pretty good at manipulating whoever it is that's supposed to decide whether you're fit to go out into society like yeah theoretically you could go out into society and do more harm yeah but i'm also talking about the person who's doing that though taking almost like like this is the thing right like for example right what if given Given the rehabilitation understanding of punishment, right? Which, by the way, I'm, and I want to say this, I do believe there's an element of, of you know, retri- like, like rehabilitative justice that we do want to help people 
get healed. Yeah. I do believe that, right? But imagine for a second um, that all of a sudden Christianity was considered a, a crime. Right. Right? And we live in a purely, you know, rehabilitation kind of model. Hmm. Right? What does that mean then for the Christian? It means yeah. that rehabilitation is you recant your faith. Right? Which is then, as soon as ideas can become crimes in that kind of system, what you have is essentially ideological tyranny, right? That anyone who just disagrees with the state now can be rehabbed for as long as we want them, mm. right? Where if you have more of a justice kind of just, you know, re what would be called retributive, right? Which again, purely does, I would say we're not, we are not holy enough and perfect enough to work that out in a good system, 100%. Uh, but at least with that, there's kind of a, a one-for-one one understanding. This crime gets this punishment, and when you're done that, it's gone, right? And and so this is actually a point that C.S. Lewis makes back, you know, years ago when he was starting writing about some of this stuff, and, and he saw this kind of what he would what he called um, essentially like a, what we in the modern world would call leftist kind of more progressive understanding of this. And I'm not saying that just because it's left, it's bad. Get over yourself, people, right? But he saw in this way that if people were moving away from trying to talk about right and wrong and more about cures and brokenness and his end game, he said, if you just take that down the road, the moment that the state, the government, you know, assumes what you believe is now a crime for whatever reason, it's a detriment to society. It's going to be, you know, against the order. Right. Which I like I've even heard people say that in the modern world, but Christianity, it sort of disrupts moral or, or societal order. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then you get caught in the space where, you know, in the heart of wanting to be good, you actually perpetuate the potential for greater evil, mm. right? And that's, and I'm not saying that's the end of the conversation for me. I'm saying that was something that made me think a little bit deeper about this saying, right. okay, well, my, my emotional impetus towards help and reform, I think is good, healthy, we should have that. But the way that that works out in society where real evil exists and like people who do real evil, like, we we don't ever like reading history as if we were the ones always committing the violence yeah we always like reading it from the perspective of the victim mm -hmm. right but average joes became nazis and killed people yeah right like we we tend to believe that we would never do that mm -hmm. i think that's a very low view of human evil right i think it goes much deeper than, than that so i think we have to have a bigger conversation than against the understanding of human evil and the need for deterrent and the need for correction. Um, but do I think that kind of like the statistically maybe unfair systems that we see in America towards certain minority races or things like that is a good system? Of course not. Hmm. Of course not. I'll admit to being very, very ignorant actually about how like the rehabilitative justice plays out like when someone is incarcerated i honestly know so little about that i've always just had this picture of jail that you just go there and like i just have a very boring life in a padded cell and like <laughs> well because but here's the thing is like you know seriously was what he was trying to do with that right is take you to like a hypothetical end yeah right because i don't think there's any system that's purely rehabilitative at all no right um but he was trying to show that this is where maybe the thinking can lead you, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And and that's why I'm caught in the middle because I do yeah. think that I do think that human sin is a real issue, but 
human sin done to you can cause you to do other sin. Yeah, totally. Now, it doesn't excuse it. You still Mm -hmm. should be punished for the sin that you commit, but there is reasons we can understand and maybe bring healing to, right? Like with the growth of psychology and understanding of the human experience and, you know, like, and we talk about a lot at church that we do believe that Jesus came to bring about the kingdom, Mm -hmm. right? To heal us, to rescue us, to make us human again. Because I don't believe evil was normal. Yeah. Right? Like, like we, we talk about the normal human story that is technically, I would argue, not true. Right, the normal human story is what we now have normal, but what God intended was not that. Right, it was presence in the garden. It was walking with Him. It was life for Him. Like that's what we were supposed to have. That's kind of the original hope of our relationship with Him, and that's what our hope is coming when heaven invades earth again. That that will be what we have. Mm-hmm. That's kind of kind of the Christian arc, right? Of we began with the presence of God. We began human, fully alive, and something broke in us. Sin was crouching at the door and it took us and tempted us and we, we we gave in and we broke right and we experienced the knowledge of good and evil and and now we live in the perpetuation of that right and and that the hope is that we'll all be put back right that jesus he's making every bad story untrue that's mm-hmm. where he's moving it right yeah um and and so i don't think i just i just don't think in the modern world we recognize the 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 vast difference between how evil we are and how evil we weren't supposed to be, right? right or how good yeah. we're supposed to be, yeah. right? And when the moment you say that people can't do evil things or truth doesn't, like wrong and right don't matter, we talk about this about in the apologetics, right? You kind of lose your moral bearing to say anything, yeah. right? Because then it becomes preference. And 100%, if, if like the death penalty, 100% should not exist in a preferential justice system, right? Where everything mm-hmm. is just based on the culture of the time right because then at the end of the day there's nothing transcendent there and as soon as culture shifts well then let's just start killing these people yeah 100 percent not that right i can see it if there was a common justice which i don't think we have either right and so maybe i'm like when I, when I when i look at the new old testament right and because we do believe in revelation mm-hmm. right that moses wasn't just up on the mountain making stuff up although some wouldn't argue that he was we would not say that that there was a specific reason that God laid out this system for that time, right? And what we need to do is take, figure out what are the absolute moral principles that guide that season and argue, are they okay? If they're absolute, are they time transcendent, mm-hmm. right? Or culturally relative? And what I mean is not that truth is relative, but for example... Um, some have argued now this gets into a different conversation which we won't get into today but just go with me for a second I heard this in, in one of my philosophy classes in college that uh, although we would say that incest is wrong mm-hmm. right um, the first time that kind of comes up is in the law right for, for, for the Hebrew canon right Yeah. that you know you don't sleep with your father's wife which is your mother or mm-hmm. you know whatever that some, have, some used to say that you know because of the way that the Bible describes sort of the original Adam and Eve pairing that the only way for like Cain and Abel to have a wife would be to marry their sister. And so God made a provision, right? A, a relative provision that this moral binding thing that now binds on us was not maybe binding in the same way on them because then the revelation came and it was all of a sudden law, right? And so you could argue there is some, you know, relatively applied principles, but ultimately get to what is the ultimate transcendent principles, right? To do good, 
right? To be benevolent, right? To seek the sacredness of life, to uphold that, um, to do justice. And what is justice? Well, I would argue it's treating all things as they ought to be treated, yeah. right? It's it's love. It's to will and to work for the good. We're talking about that on Sunday. To will and to work for the good, right, of others. And these things driving us forward. But the problem is none of that's simple, mm-hmm. right? Because then it's it's not all things are equal. There's not like like having someone commit, you know, premeditated, gruesome, hunt them down murder, mm-hmm. right? And a drunk driver is a different kind of murder. Yeah. Right? And there should be different consequences. And we feel the weight of that. Like, I know we, we, we feel the weight of that, right? You know, like, you're going to feel a certain visceral reaction against Hitler. Yeah. Right? The way you're going to feel against, you know, like, I don't know, um, the mom... Where was it? It was just it was in Ontario, just a couple weeks ago, where she left her like four year old in the car for four hours. Yeah, right. Like, it's different. They mm-hmm. both suck, and I made they and they both made me mad. Mm-hmm. Right when you learn about it, like how could we let Hitler happen, and how could this mom do that? Yeah, right. But they're different, right? The yeah. weight is different, not because the lives are any less valuable, because the situations and the context and the things don't make it equal. Mm-hmm. And that's where, like, I think justice is way more complex than we like to think about in the modern time. It's not yeah. just this easy thing, right? It's it's and so that's where, again, I don't think capital punishment is an easy conversation. No, right? It's not just no or yes, like it. Well, okay, it's. It is. It's, it's it's either no or it de- maybe. It depends I'll, on the objective. Yeah. That is really what it depends on. Because yeah, you're right. Like when you break it down to the whole question of what is justice, mm-hmm. like it pro- it looks a lot different than it does in the society we live in. Like the, comparing the definition of justice in the Bible versus mm-hmm. what it is, you know, I think we're very practical a lot of the times in how we deal with justice. So like, if I'm gonna strip back the death penalty to a purely practical level there is really no reason for it to exist we have the infrastructure we have maximum security prisons we can keep people safe from these criminals in like indefinitely um so we actually really don't need to take their lives now i mean you could argue like oh well it you know costs money to keep them alive <laughs> in prison which is like which is an angle yeah. some people would take but then again i mean it's a for-profit prison system in the u.s where the death penalty currently exists and that's a whole other topic we could get into yeah. but i mean which i would equate to modern day slavery but um that system is broken like that's yeah. not even a question that's and that's what makes it more complex because now you're talking about justice of the justice system yeah right versus one end right mm-hmm. or one mean that they use and and I would also, there is a thing of deterrent in there too, though, right? There is. And and that has been often argued in the course of justice. Yeah, like, so that's actually, yeah, that's a practical reason for right? it. It's for like sure. you would do it to deter others. Now, do I think that always works? The, the, the moral issue for me is how do you weigh if it's a proper deterrent, right? Because like, can, can I actually know that if we allow this kind of, public display happen that's going to make other people not because yeah you can like measure crime i guess over a certain period of time but even so then there might be other factors but then that but then the, we, but, but purely deterrent though yeah then be, then all that all it needs is not actual guilt it needs perceived guilt and that's mm. where it gets dangerous right because if if you were to take an innocent person but that the public story was that they were guilty yeah and then use them as a deterrent, that would be just as powerful, 
right? That's really actual, true, yeah. Than a guilty person. Yeah. And so even deterrence is not, it's part of the conversation, but it should never be the whole conversation. Well, right? I mean, the court of public opinion is, for better or worse, part of our justice system, to be honest. Yeah. Like, it does determine if people work again in that industry or if they get blacklisted from a certain thing or, you know, if people want to see this actor in this movie anymore. Like, um, I mean, there's like there's plenty of actors who have never been charged with like a crime, but like Hollywood just won't like work with them anymore because they've allegedly done something wrong or they've made comments mm -hmm. or whatever. Like, um, I guess like uh, Roseanne Barr, like. I think said some racist stuff yeah, but or that, whatever. Like, but, but, but what that was a that, punishment right? she faced. It is a punishment, yeah. but it's just a cultural moment, right? Because she, yeah, for sure. she's been saying it now. I'm sure she said it before. Oh yeah, right? yeah, for sure. And even the Harvey Weinstein stuff, right? Like, well, the, he okay, he actually committed crimes. Yeah, there. but the open secret, right? Everyone knew about it. Yeah. But then when all of a sudden it was, it was a, like it should have been said a long time ago. Yeah. But when it was all of a sudden this cultural moment, it's like, well, now it's all coming out, and and like, I think he is a monster. Mm -hmm. For sure. Right, like he's yeah. he's not a good man, and he's got to he's got to pay for his crimes. I'm not gonna say like I don't know what that looks like. Apparently, there there's someone who said that they just put out like a like a 44 million dollar settlement or something with all the accusers oh or word. something like that. I heard that, but the thing about it is, but this is where court of public opinion matters. Why? Because in Georgia they passed this abortion law, mm -hmm. right? Um, protecting the heartbeat, whatever. And now all the Hollywood is being like, you know, you can't go to Georgia and make movies and blah, 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 blah. Right. Right. So like the thing is we, you, the idea of justice in the system, right, is 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 100% tied to swings of economic power, right? Like, because what they're trying to do is essentially change a law or change a justice, change whatever with the use of economic force, right? And, which is a powerful tool. I'm not going to like deny that, right? But at the same time, um, Patricia, is it Heaton? Heath? The mom or the wife from Everybody Loves Raymond. I remember her name. Do you ever watch that show? Yes, I did. Anyways, I was listening to an interview with her and she's a pretty like well-known Catholic. And um, and she's reported that she's been turned down for certain roles because, yeah, Patricia Heaton. because she's Catholic, right? Right. And, you know, like that's going to happen. People are going to make decisions based on okay, certain things, yeah, right? She has been like very like pro-life and mm -hmm. vocally so, right? yeah. And, and so it came up with this, well, this whole big conversation. So like, you know, our, our, like I'm learning more and more and this is where things just get complex and I wish I was a better thinker. My brain was sharper, but like all this stuff that we do is just the latest rendition of the human experiment of how to live civilly, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, and I was listening to, um, I try to listen to pretty like broad, you know, secular and Christian and non-Christian people. I've talked about how sometimes I listen to Joe Rogan just to get a good uh, snapshot of the yeah. modern macho left man. Mm -hmm. um, Sam Harris I listen to. I wouldn't really consider Joe Rogan left. He calls himself that. That's he, the funny thing. He's wrong. Um, but anyways, listen to him because I like, he just is, yeah, anyways, I'll need to talk about my opinions on him. Um, <laughs> some of the stuff about faith is just messed up. It's just like not deeply thought out. But anyway, that's the thing about Joe Rogan though. He doesn't think about things deeply, but he has a lot of people on his show. He's a good conversation host. He is. He's that, great. That he's a great crazy. skill at this. But listen to him. I'll listen to Sam Harris, um, even Jordan Peterson and, and things like that, just to get a good kind of broad view of what's going on. And uh, 
I can't remember why I brought that up. There was a point I was going to make. But I don't remember what it was now. <laughs> Listen to people with a broad view and a court of public opinion. and The point being, the point being, like, it's, it, is, it is way more complex and non-simplistic than I think we like to think about life. Like, like this is, these are all hard conversations, right? Like, systems of government, systems of status systems of like oh that's what it was it was jordan pearson was talking and he said like i'm amazed that we can even sit in this room and have a conversation um in a structured civilized manner given how evil humans have been in the past kind of thing and his Mm. point was that like you know if you really trace the human history like we've been bloodthirsty it is pretty amazing how like relatively tame western society is has become right and 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 how people fear it's crumbling that's again probably a whole other conversation to have but the idea is that like you know this has been a pretty good experiment so far it's going to eventually fall yeah and then we're going to rethink all this stuff mm-hmm. right and so just to be aware of the fact that like this is like that's why i think seeking and this is where i would go like seeking transcendent non-culturally binding principles right to guide our moral to guide our ethic to guide the way we do life is actually so vital mm-hmm. because the moment that you know, conceivably, democracy falls away, the Western world falls away, right? Whatever new civilization rises up, whatever new empire, whatever it is, because it's going to happen, right? Maybe not in our time, mm. but eventually we're going to do what we do, make war. Someone's yeah. going to die. Someone's going to get wiped out. Then when things get reborn, what do we need? We don't need cultural moments. What we need is transcendent principle. Yeah. So I still, I still think there's this drive towards actual justice. And, I, and I'm not like, and I'm, I'm not smart enough to figure all that out, right? Hopefully one day I can grow my my understanding of this stuff. And and, and but like, it's just it's way more complex than just I emotionally don't like that or. But I think, it, but I don't think that's bad because, like I said, I think we get back to it. Like I hope we don't enjoy killing mm-hmm. i hope that we don't enjoy the loss of life like because even like there should be some sense of tragedy even if we believe it was just yeah yeah right because it's still the life that we have For to look sure. at that that like because because you're right i remember people say that like you know i don't really generally believe in the death penalty but that guy right and the moment they say but that guy i can understand them but have they let the imago day go right and and that would be my question right is there is there a marked tragedy in, in my mind when this is happening because i think there is an impetus in me that i would want as a dad mm-hmm. right got a little, a little a little girl it would give you some kind of closure it would some, however want, small right i would want some kind of like yeah and that's where i think forgiveness needs to reign and generally speaking it should right but could i I think could I in some cases draw lines to get it sort of wrap the conversation back to the beginning of like that I would be like not comfortable but like okay with the certain I think I could draw certain lines around certain heinous crimes hmm. um, but I but again I would hope that love would never make that easy yeah right <laughs>